This is your friendly neighborhood priestess, empowerment mentor, and soon-to-be social worker, Crystal Claire. And I want to firstly say a big thank you to all of the folks that tune in, regardless of whether I have a super fancy intro songs, video animations, or consistent weekly output. Your girl is a full-time studying to become a social worker while operating multiple small businesses, so I deeply appreciate the real ones who get it and receive the innate value of these transmissions, even without the fancy production flares. <laughs> so I want to spill some tea today <laughs> that I probably wouldn't on public social media or even in a workshop. It's time to get honest about the gross realities of common American friendships and the impacts of them today. I'll be sharing my own personal stories of navigating toxic friendships in a wide variety of capacities and circumstances. And from these case examples, we'll break down what the underlying cultural patterns at play actually are. And we'll conclude with some green flags to help identify when you've actually got a solid gold standard friend in your midst. Today's drop-in is intended to get real and vulnerable. I know I am far from being the only person out there that has had first-hand experience with toxic relationships. This is a unfortunately very common and relatable circumstance. However, the actual tools and practices that have helped me personally recover mentally, emotionally, and relationally over the years require far more depth and practice than what a podcast alone can topically provide. I'm sharing those tools that have served me in the upcoming Relational Wound Recovery Workshop that is a part of the Sovereign Workshop series. Our next in-person workshop is August 13th, 2.30 p.m. at Earthspace PDX, and an online video version will be available to tune in anytime. I highly recommend dropping in for advanced direct support with this work, with that workshop, or to reach out with me one-on-one. -on -one. So let's get to the heart of the matter. Regardless of whether you identify as a he, a she, or a them, if you grew up in America, you probably have been at least somewhat exposed to transactional or shallow friendship dynamics. Social climbing was bad enough, even before we had social media, to quantify our perceived sense of value of one another. It's my personal belief that the developed emphasis on individualism and the nuclear family, long perpetuated over generations, has had a detrimental impact on how Americans understand what being in relationship or community actually means. We don't have village mindsets anymore in our modern American culture. And if we do have a village mindset or a village-like experience, it's considered radical or maybe even taboo. Capitalism has shaped our culture into an every man for himself kind of scenario, when in reality, 
life itself exists as a complex interweb of relationships. We wouldn't be here in the first place or be who we uniquely are, even as individuals, without relationship. Without our ancestors, loved ones, the earth and nature, <laughs> all of our provisions in life come from a partnership with someone else's hands, even if we don't personally know them. Like even think about your farmer that grows your food. <laughs> that is dependent on a relationship. The cultural illusion that we are truly best on our own as individuals and our goals as individuals trump everything else creates a major disconnect between us and one of the greatest gifts we have to experience in this life, connection. Now, even in the relationships that we do have, because of this cultural amnesia that tricks us into forgetting the massive value of those relationships, behavioral patterns of meanness, cattiness, competition, jealousy, and more can become concerningly common. Allow me to ground this into some examples. Get your tea, it's story time. <laughs> I have wanted to be a therapist my whole life. I was a peer counselor in high school, and since I was in fifth grade, I would give my whole heart to anyone who needed it. I'm becoming a counselor as a social worker now because it's honestly who I've always been. That said, these innate passions did not have healthy boundaries growing up. From middle school to my mid-twenties, I gave my whole self to perceived friends that could not reciprocate a degree of authentic care back to me because of the individualistic and competitive programs inherent in our grander culture. For example, one of my best friends as a teenager was severely depressed and suicidal. And I was the only person in her life at the time that would regularly check in on her, communicate with her mother, and show up on her doorstep at the drop of a pin, often. However, over time, she began to develop a covert strategy to mentally, emotionally, and relationally harm me. Those who are familiar with the concept in therapeutics called the empowerment dynamic may recognize this pattern of when someone chooses to be a victim in life, past the things that like they actually can't control, but at the point when they're actually choosing to remain a victim, in the areas that they can control, they can intend to hurt or even attack the ones that they know are trying to help them. And so in this circumstance, this manifested as manipulating circumstances that would purposely position me to be highly embarrassed, behind in school even, or to be perceived as unlikable or uncool by our peers over the course of two to three years. Like this went on. 
so that she could ultimately feel better about herself. Mind you, this person again was one of my best friends who I spent nearly every day with. And I want to be clear, I don't blame this person for what they did. Behaviors can be toxic, but I don't believe people themselves to inherently be toxic. People at their core can be separate from their actions or even the mental illnesses that might push them into those choices. And there is the nuance as well that some people aren't capable in their love language to give in the same way that someone else might be able to. I might have a really strong service-oriented love language that can give so much capacity, and that shouldn't mean that I need to expect that same output from everybody else. However, with that nuance aside, in hindsight, I can see that what may have contributed to this dynamic here is individualistic cultural emphasis that created a pressurized sense of competition, the sense of who is better than the other. And jealousy is the starter fuel for this super common wildfire. If insecurity leads one person to believe that another person is better than them in any capacity, so just cooler, prettier, smarter, whatever it is, whatever the person values, that insecurity and subsequent comparison and jealousy can take over like a monster in someone's psyche and lead someone to be incredibly unhealthy even towards their best friend. And that jealousy and competition all originates from a misperception that hierarchy exists in reality in the first place. Think about it. Most interpersonal drama stems from some perceived hierarchical dynamic. We think someone has more power than the other either manifested through comparison of appearances, wealth, intelligence, access to resources, social clout, Instagram followers, it doesn't stop. <laughs> and that idea actually gets enforced in our hyper-capitalistic culture. Our society rewards and celebrates people with perceived more power and shames those that do not. So to play this hierarchical game, even with people that are on your side as friends, can actually be integrated as a perceived need for social or cultural survival. When in reality, we all thrive, not just get by surviving. When we work together and raise each other up, rather than tearing each other down. This is how humanity evolves. This is how we all evolve. <laughs> and this is how and why these social patterns are actually really sinister. And I'll just give you a little home play, homework play. If you wanna watch some reality TV, if you like humor that at all, just observe. like. 
pay attention to the dramas that happen and recognize that all of the dramas pretty much are a hierarchical game at play. It's who is cooler, who's better, who's got this or that, and I don't. And it's it doesn't have to be real. It doesn't have to be a reality that we feed into, but we do because our culture has told us to believe it. And and celebrates those who are winning in that way when in reality we can all be operating in a healthy collaborative ecosystem together and that reality is here now for us to tap into at any point should we choose to and opt out of the matrix program that tells us that we actually need to be eating each other alive like big fish little fish in the pond of life but wait a second what about nature (laughs) Isn't there a pyramid food chain there that's based on hierarchy? You know, like big shark actually eats little shark. Mm, Not so fast. (laughs) Nature gives us an example of a food web, not a pyramid, where all animals, regardless of their strength or power, are dependent on one another. In actuality, there is no one animal that is better than another because they all rely on each other to exist in some capacity. The same applies to humanity as well, right? Like if we look at nature as a model for humanity to function in a healthy way, the the lion could not exist without the mouse because the mouse is a part of this entire web and ecosystem of life that feeds the animals that then the lion feeds off of. They are all reliant on one another. If there's not as much grass, then there's not enough mice. And then if there's not enough mice, there's a domino effect, right? And so it's not like the lion's just like king of the the Sahara, right? And like totally good on his own. He needs that, the pride needs all of the other animals in order to survive and thrive. Humans are the same way and not in a hierarchical way, right? It's we are all in this together. But that's obviously a psycho-ecological approach to this topic, so I digress. (laughs) So, how about the people that call themselves your friend, but are actually just trying to use or leverage you for their gain, right? I think we all all might know what this might look or feel like. In my early 20s, one of my closest friends revealed herself over time as someone who really just wanted to use my face and my network connections for social media stature. With a bonus on top of any other social perks that I would offer as a friend. Without reciprocal care or respect. One of the downfalls of having service as my number one love language (laughs) is that it's really easy to give in very practical, helpful, tangible ways to show care and love for somebody. And that form of gift giving 
is one of the easiest for people to take advantage of. So this person would consistently position themselves as being a highly important influencer because they had bought thousands of followers, which justified their internal reasoning of why they could be rude, dismissive, or higher than thou towards anyone else. And when I stopped being quote unquote useful for her in the ways that she wanted, it was like the years of me showing up for her as one of her only friends never actually happened. Again, at the core of this are these illusions of social hierarchy that create separation and imbalanced interrelational dynamics. This person was never truly a friend because they honestly didn't know how to be. To them, a friend was someone who would provide value to them consistently without needing reciprocity in any way, even if it was like having checking conversations every once in a while or having a regular respectful dynamic of each other's time, you know? <laughs> this is not a real relationship. This is a one-sided, parasitic dynamic justified by the idea that she was more important than me because of fake social media numbers and a subsequent inflated ego that needed to feel better than others in order to feel good at all. <sighs> I'm not gonna lie, I have had just as much trouble finding healthy sisterhood dynamics in the new age spiritual scene as I did in a college sorority. Oh, whoops. <laughs> Fun secret fact. Yes, I was in a college sorority. <laughs> and I was so confused too when I would tell people which one I got accepted into and people's eyes would like bulge open and they'd say, oh wow that's a top house and then they'd look at me differently right as if i like inherently had more value or was more cool because i got approved by a top house like what does that even mean <laughs> even back then the concept really disturbed me the fact that there are websites that rate sororities at each university is inherently inherently gross to me. Isn't this supposed to be just a really big woman's circle sisterhood all the time? Like, <laughs> what? Why does it matter what our rank is and why are we so obsessed with it? <laughs> I dropped out of my sorority so they have no real legal binding to me exposing their secrets. But I will never forget how absurdly horrific the rush process was on both sides of the equation. I live to tell the tale. <laughs> Applying for sororities was bad enough. Mind you, I didn't even wanted to do it in the first place. I signed up last minute because my parents convinced me that it would be a good way to make friends in college. My goodness, was that a lie? 
you would have to catwalk through a sterile, stuffy mansion, acting like a Barbie doll robot, and have the most shallow 30-second conversations with a complete stranger with the goal of getting them to like you. And from that brief interaction, the applicants were rated on little sheets of paper and then voted on whether they were worthy of joining the cult. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorority. <laughs> and then from the recruiter side, we then rented an entire lecture hall on university campus and pulled up photos of each applicant on the giant projector screen in front of hundreds of girls. And those that spoke with the featured applicant of the two minute moment would then have 20 seconds to share with the group their impression. And some of the comments that these girls made about the applicants, you would cringe. Easily some of the meanest things I've ever heard spoken about other women. And then we'd all use little like eye clicker buttons to vote on whether the girl was accepted to the club. I had to leave to the bathroom and cry during some moments because it was so revolting and it was so hard to participate in. But as sororities like these tend to go, if you didn't participate, you would get fined a minimum $100 anytime you did not participate in their shallow mean girl games. Every time. So, yeah. <sighs> but does it get any better when you're actually in the sorority? Don't you have this wonderful new clique of besties? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, sure, for some people, if they're into shallow friendships. But even living in the sorority house for a year, I was witness to incessant daily cattiness, mean girl style bullying, stealing from each other, and even actual dangerous and highly traumatizing dramas. I never once witnessed or experienced actual kindness, compassion, support, or real have-your-back friendship. Even within the sorority itself, the social hierarchy games and subsequent competition never ceased. I'll probably do a whole other expose on some of the most wild stories I have from that time in my life sometime. It really is a gnarly vortex that I wouldn't wish upon anyone. That sorority house is one of my personal versions of hell, if I'm honest. <laughs> and the point that I'm trying to make here is that even in the institutions 
that preach and market themselves as a safe, lifelong, sincere sisterhood of friendships for life <laughs> is actually a total lie based on hierarchy, capitalism, and competition all the same. These patterns are rampant and they're embedded in our culture and institutionalized in it at countless corners. <sighs> Just as much as I speak about being highly discerning with your spiritual teachers and healers, I mean the same for those you allow in your inner circles. When social patterns such as these are so incredibly rampant, you could be surprised what happens in your relational dynamics, regardless of what scene you meet someone in or how they outwardly present themselves. So here are some keys to be able to identify when a real friend may be present. <sighs> Quick water break. The first green flag, they actually listen to and want to get to know you. They don't give you unsolicited advice and tell you what they think you should do or how you should be. This is honestly, if someone's doing this, it's probably a projection. They will want to get to know who you uniquely are without trying to change you, and they will make space to receive you in your wholeness, in your unique self and individuality. They will want to get to know you, not just, you know, do things with you. They'll want to know your last name, where you came from, like what's your story, what are your passions? And they'll make space to hear and receive that. Number two, a person who is likely a good friend will reciprocate and make an effort to keep your dynamic with them balanced. They will ask you to hang out just as much as you do, or they at least hold the intention to try. They give as much as they receive. It's not just, oh, this is Stacy's world and we're all just living in it. <laughs> They value what you bring to their life and they let you know it. They appreciate you for it and they say thanks. Third, they're kind to all people, not just to you or to others when it's convenient. They tip service workers and are respectful to them. This can point to someone who does not feed into hierarchical dynamics. And honestly, if they are a friend to animals, nature, and people of marginalized backgrounds, then they're probably a friend that you can trust too. Next, they are inherently and generally open to all points of view but also know their own and won't shove their perspective down other people's throats or convince them to change their opinions. 
This can indicate someone doesn't believe their perception or opinion is more valuable, important, or valid than others. Related to this, if someone doesn't claim to be fully right all the time, and they can own up to their mistakes, admit when they're wrong, and be open to learning, you've got a good sign there. Our next green flag is that this person would be intrinsically motivated to sincerely uplift you and are genuinely wishing you well, no matter what. Someone who shows invested interest or concern in your wellness and will appropriately show up for that, regardless of whether you explicitly ask. You will know that you are likely with soul family if more than 50% of their baseline values and virtues match with yours. At the bare minimum, you want friends that are self-aware of their impact and take responsibility for themselves. They should know how and that they affect others and will genuinely care about others in a way that aligns with healthy expression of values. As they have grace for their own growth in these ways, they can have grace for others as well. And all this to say, you are probably in good hands if you are hanging out with someone who contemplates their values and virtues at all in the first place. A good friend will also understand that relationships are constantly evolving and shifting. We are always growing, aging, entering new chapters and phases in our lives. The only constant in life is, is change, right? And so a good friend will recognize this, accept this, and choose to grow with you, to choose to celebrate you in your growth, in your evolution, to cheer you on, and when, when you make that quantum leap and amazing things are happening to you, they're celebrating you because they love and care about you and they're not feeding into some hierarchical competitive game of who's better than the other. And if you're winning, that does not inherently mean that they're losing, right? So a good friend knows that you winning does not mean that they're losing. A good friend knows that when you're winning, we're all winning. And it's not some kind of like riding on the coattails or, you know, getting that silver spoon from my friend kind of dynamic. It's just when you rise, we all rise, right? And we wanna see each other rise. Each of our flames creates a wildfire of the change and evolution that our world needs that we all desire and crave at this point in life, right? So a good friend will choose to grow with you and at the very least, cheer you on in your growth. All this to say, navigating, finding, and cultivating healthy friendships can be certainly tricky at times. But I don't share any of this to perpetuate anxiety about it merely to practice healthy contemplation of where our yeses and nos live. The fact of the matter is, 
The concept of the lone wolf has always been a myth, even in nature. Wolves can't survive alone, and neither do we. And especially as we approach greater environmental, sociopolitical, and economic instability, recording this in 2023, <laughs> our relational networks become increasingly more important than ever. We survive and thrive in partnership with each other, just as our ancestors in the villages did. So my final advice is to become the friend that you desire to have. Show up, make an effort, and do not take the faults of others' behaviors personally. They are on their own path. You no longer have to stomach or consent to any harmful behaviors that other people may perpetuate. You deserve friendships that genuinely adore and uplift you. And they're out there waiting. Everyone is craving connection. Even in the age of social media, we're craving real connection more than ever. You can look at the statistics for mental health right now. <laughs> so take the first step to claim it, to embody it, to walk it, and to show and remind others how to do the same, how to be in healthy relationship with one another, because that's what we all really want, right? Really, though, you could go on the most glamorous, beautiful vacation to Tahiti, but what if, what, like, all we really want is someone to share those experiences with, right? Like, it doesn't matter the wealth or the accomplishments or whatever. What matters is at the end of the day that we have those special connections to be clinking our glasses to in celebration with. You can ask people that are wildly successful and have like so much billions of dollars and they'll say the same thing loneliness is the worst epidemic so let's do something about it right let's realign and shift our values so that we can be the friends that we want to have and with time those that are ready to live this way with us, we'll remember and come back. And we remember and we find each other together. <sighs> I know, it's a lot. <laughs> and if you want to drop in deeper, my upcoming workshop, Relational Wound Recovery, available in person and online, can help equip you with the tools and practices to help heal the impacts that toxic dynamics may have had on you. And we'll break down the keys to actually restoring ourselves and the relationships that we care about. You can visit the workshop section on my website for those details. And my one-on-one -on -one sessions are also currently open if you are desiring more hands-on support through this. This topic and the related workshop all stem from my Sovereign program, 
which goes so much more deep into how we can be the people that we want to be in this world in a sovereign way, empowered way that's also inherently balanced in our interpersonal dynamics. And so the Sovereign program you may have heard was a three-month program experience, but there was so much depth. I got so much feedback from the folks that participated that it was so rich in so many ways that people wanted more time. And so I've chosen to not put a timeline on this work anymore. And so the three-month experience is actually shifting to a month-to-month membership. So we can dive in as far as we need without a limited timeline and even better at a third of the previous cost. Like it's actually absurd how accessible this work is becoming. And it's because I believe in it so much and because it's so profoundly important for these current times. I stand by this work with my life as a living embodied prayer of how it's transformed me and how I would love to see this work support others to really come into a healthy, strong relationship with themselves and those that they care about. Across all levels of sovereignty, relationship to friends, family, lovers, career, purpose, so many things. (laughs) It goes so, so deep. So you can sign up for the waitlist for the membership from my website and the doors are opening super, super soon. And all this comes from that I know all of these challenges super intimately. And we only really scratched the surface here. I have got your back and I am honored for the opportunity to build trust with you however you may decide to connect with me. Thank you for taking the time to contemplate this topic with me here today. And I acknowledge that there is truly so much nuance and depth than we truly had time to dive into here via this podcast medium. So it is my hope and intention that this time together has served you in some capacity And I look forward to connecting with you again next time. For now, be well and big blessings.